0: DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy
1: can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info.
2: Today on Political Rewind, Democratic presidential candidates are heading to Georgia for a debate. The Trump administration rolls out tough new measures on immigration. And how are women driving the impeachment debate forward? Political Rewind starts now. Thanks for being with us for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. I'm going to get right to the panel because this is one of those days when we will, we've got so much to talk about, we'll never get everything we need to discuss in. Jim Galloway. The lead political writer for the AJC is here. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper, and he oversees the Political Insider blog. want to give you a chance to do a quick plug. You have a column that's up online right now, but it'll be in the Sunday paper. What is the, it about?
1: On the politics of transportation in Georgia, and it's not
2: red versus blue. All right, we will look for that. And that's a subject we can talk about on the show next week. I'm glad we've got that to look forward to. Um, Ed, Ed Lindsay is here, former state representative, Republican state representative from Atlanta, yeah. now a partner with the world's largest law firm, Denton's. Ed, you know I love saying that. I know you do, and, man, we appreciate you saying that. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Patricia Murphy is back with us. Uh, she worked on the Hill for people like Max Cleland, uh, Sam Nunn, then crossed over to the dark side, became a journalist. And, or the uh, light side. Whatever we, you know, we'll go either way on that. You uh, I have a syndicated column. I read you in Roll Call. And a little later in the show, I want to talk a bit about your most recent column about the women driving impeachment. Thank you. Also with us today, one of the Southeast's best known, uh, most respected immigration attorneys, Charles Cook. Uh, Chuck, you know, when we launched, when we talked about having you on the show, we thought we're going to put impeachment, I mean, (laughs) put immigration at the top of the show.
3: Not yeah, so much. not so much. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: that's all right. You can talk to us about a lot, and we'll talk about immigration That'd as we move forward. Uh, Jim, let's start with the big news this week for Georgia, at least for some Georgians. The um, Democratic Party, the DNC, has announced they're going to bring their debate, their presidential debate, to Georgia on uh, November 20th there's a one next week on october
1: 15th and then we're next in line yeah we don't know we don't know how many candidates are going to qualify and uh, and i'm not even sure that the that the that the uh, requirements are, are out there yet uh i guess the most important uh, it's, it's first of all it's sponsored by the washington post and msnbc, MSNBC. uh one of the most most important uh, important questions from a local point of view is where is it going to be held yeah And, you know, the question is, I mean, the last one in 1992 where you were a part of uh, that was held at the Carter Center. But if you're if you're if you're a Georgia Democrat right now, do you do you want to push it out to the frontier? Do you want to hold that debate out in Cobb County or uh, North Fulton or Gwinnett just to kind of just to kind of put your, your, your mark out
2: there. Well, Patricia, I know that there are people looking, of course, at that rate right now. I talked to a couple of Democratic officials this morning who said they're going to meet over the weekend and hope next week they'll be able to announce the venue. But I think it's safe to say they're not going somewhere in rural Georgia. They're not going down to Moultrie. And the chances of going to a venue, say, in downtown or midtown Atlanta, it's possible, but I'm not sure what advantage they'd get out of that.
0: I think they're. I could see them doing the Northern Arc. I mean, that yeah. would make the most sense. That's the area where they've had the most recent success. They've seen the, their ability to pick up the most votes. And it also, wherever the venue is, the good news for Democrats and Democratic voters or Democratic curious voters is that all of those candidates will more than likely be doing events right around those same areas. So you want to make it a place that's easy to get to, logistically sound, and that is the target area of the voters that you want to reach. Mm-hmm.
3: Ed? Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to give you a counter argument. Okay. Uh, the base for the Democratic Party in Georgia are African-Americans, and I'm surprised there hasn't been more discussion about Atlanta University campus. Ah, uh, that's an interesting you know, which, idea. Which, you know, which is, yeah. you know, downtown, easy in, easy out for the candidates, and is real close to the, where most of the uh, Democratic voters will be. In the upcoming uh, primary, in and Morehouse March. has got a couple ex- uh, excellent venues. And there. They do, they do. So I'm I'm surprised there hasn't been more discussion along those lines. Well, we should point out that this
2: is journalists right now yeah. speculating, not just us, but it's but your folks at the AJC yeah. have speculated, we don't really know what the thinking <laughs> yeah. is yet. So they may, in yeah. fact, be certainly thinking about that. I do think one of the venues that's been discussed, uh, Chuck, that's interesting, is the big new performing arts center in that Rusty Paul built um, up in Sandy yeah, Springs. Yeah, I was thinking
4: the same thing. What a great location if you want to put it in a rising Democratic area with money. yeah, And access to quick fundraisers, access to Bringing votes into that district sick, which is one of the primary targets of the Republican Party. I think that's a very interesting place to have it.
2: And remember that Rusty Paul is, even though he runs for mayor uh, in a nonpartisan role, a longtime Republican.
1: It would be fun to see him have to host it up there. Here's one, one other thing to think about here. Okay, the debate is going to be November 22nd. Democrats have said that they're going to. They're, the uh, De- House Democrats have said that they are. The uh, timetable for impeachment is is before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. This is this debate will be held a week before Thanksgiving. Yeah. So we're going to see a this this debate is probably going to be conducted in the midst of of some fairly high drama in 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 D.C. All right. So, by the way, it's
2: November 20th. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Patricia, okay, we don't know what the venue is. We don't know anything about the details of how they're going to put it together. I, I think they do have the criteria for how a candidate will qualify at this point. Maybe if we can, if we can post that on our uh, social media, the criteria that, uh, Sam, uh, you put together for us, rather than going through all of it, that would be terrific. But um, Patricia, aside from all of that... What impact is having a, deba- a debate in the state? What, First of all, what does it tell us about how seriously the DNC takes Georgia? Um, and then what impact do we imagine it has on voters to have a debate here?
0: Well, I think, you know, there are a couple good things for Georgia Democrats that they're coming here. It is a signal if you look at the other states where they've been having the debates, Michigan, Texas, Mm -hmm. Ohio, Florida, all really crucial, important swing states. Georgia has really not made that list for Democrats in about 20 years. It just has not been a battleground that Democrats are willing to invest in and pay attention to. And so the fact that it's here says yeah, we actually think it's worth coming. We mm-hmm. think it's worth investing in Georgia. I think it also um, gives a boost just to, you know, just to the morale of the state and to the visibility of the state, and especially for the campaigns. When you're getting that close to Iowa and New Hampshire, it is really hard to get candidates off of the trail in some of those key early states. Even South Carolina, it's very hard to get them to cross <laughs> the state line and come Great to Georgia. Point. Great So point. those Democratic candidates, the very tippy top tier who would otherwise be in Iowa or New Hampshire, will be here in Georgia and they would be smart to spend some time here I would expect most of them will.
1: you know this I mean this is but I, I I agree that you have a big event in a state that tells that tells people that you're paying attention and and the flip side of that Kind of occurred this spring uh, with the, with the Georgia GOP. We had a race for for the chairmanship, mm-hmm. and one of the key promises made by by all candidates is the pursuit of a a, a national convention right. in Atlanta in 2024, right. which tells you they think the state's in play too. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, Ed, Ed, it strikes me that um,
2: Republicans will have to come up with some kind of counter effort. Uh, we're going to have so much attention on the Democratic Party here, the candidates here. Yeah. What do you do if you're uh, if you're David Schaefer, the chair of the Republican Party here? Uh, how
3: do you counter program? Well, I think the, the key for David is is to utilize this as a selling point for we've got to get our own act together. Yeah. We've got to build our grassroots campaign and a big part of David's election last May at the state convention was his pledge not only to be a fundraiser, but to also reinvigorate the grassroots. And they're going to use this as a rallying cry going, Democrats think they can take Georgia by God. They're not going to be able to. And we're going to build a grassroots campaign second to none.
2: Chuck, um, one of the other things that's uh, important, I think, for Democrats to win this debate here is we've heard from Nakima Williams, the chair of the Democratic Party, We've heard from candidates like John Ossoff and other Democrats who have said, you're not paying enough attention to us National Democrats. We need more Resources. We need more Man and woman power. We need more Funds coming into the state This at least moves in the right Direction for those people in the state Democrats in the state have been worrying They're not going to get the attention they I think need.
4: It Not only focus that attention, but I think Stacey Abrams Plays a part in the role that she played here In the close election for governor They want to, I think the National Democrats want to say Look, we, we're paying attention to you. We understand that Georgia Can be in play. I think this is going to be a, a boon for both parties. I wouldn't surprise yeah. me if Trump comes a week later before Thanksgiving has a big rally down here.
0: Or the night before. Or the, or the night, night before. before. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. so this, I
4: think it's, it's fun as, a, as somebody involved in politics in Georgia to see this, both parties investing in our state.
2: Well, okay, uh, Jim, I know the AJC is going to be all over this thing in the weeks ahead, and certainly we at GPB are already starting to make plans for how we're going to mm-hmm. deal with this. But you mentioned the 19th. I think it's true That 1992 is the last year that we had a Democratic presidential debate here in Georgia. As you pointed out, it was at the Carter Center. Uh, You, I think, are the one who dug up some video from that debate. I dug up the video on (laughs) C-SPAN. Let's look at it while you're talking. um,
1: I would also tell you that I have ticket number one to that event. Oh, you do? Here
2: we go. This is from 1992. Let's listen for just a minute. Now, eight years later, one of the cornerstones of your campaign is a middle-class tax cut, and yet you're getting a, a, an extremely strong challenge from Paul Sangus, who says that you want to be Santa Claus. Um, he says no tax cuts. Now, if the mood of the public is such that they're buying the message of Paul Sangus, does it suggest that perhaps they feel that the tax cut idea is pandering to win votes?
4: Well, for one thing, uh, you and others who have characterized that as the cornerstone of my economic message have misrepresented it. But let's move on. All right. Who, who is that handsome dude? You and know,
2: others. Is <laughs> Patricia, a lesson <laughs> in how about asking shorter questions?
0: Bill, <laughs> no, be proud of that. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's it's a but,
2: great question. But, but here's the point. that What we know about this, Jim, is that 1992 Georgia primary was what propelled Bill Clinton to the
1: White House, Zell had, yeah. delayed, or had timed that primary himself. Yeah, uh, because they shared their, they shared James Carville. Yeah. and Paul Begala. Yeah.
2: Clinton had had, despite what Carville and Begala tried to say, uh, made him the comeback kid in New Hampshire, the reality is, Patricia, he'd figured he'd finished third in the New Hampshire primary. They came literally from Manchester to Atlanta to hold a rally at what was then the Omni at CNN, now CNN Center, um, and, and had the Georgia primary. A week later, because, as Jim points out, Zell Miller wanted to give him a jump start in the South.
0: And that was a really smart strategy on both their parts, because that ended up being a really successful partnership. If you look ahead at this year's primary schedule, I do think Georgia is going to play another really big role, because Joe Biden is in a little bit of trouble in Iowa, quite Mm. a bit of trouble in New Hampshire. And it looks like his firewall is going to have to be the South. It'll be South Carolina and then In his hopes, on Super Tuesday, Georgia, other southern states, more diverse, um, he's going to really need more than likely a big boost from southern states. And so I think we'll start to see him more and more um, once the date starts to approach as well.
2: Can he can you do that? Remember Rudy Giuliani, when he launched his presidential campaign, you remember this well, Ed, as a Republican. uh, He said, well, I'm not going to do well in Iowa. I'm not going to do well in New Hampshire. My firewall is Florida. Now, Florida came a little later in the cycle uh, back then, but could, the, the, it didn't work. No, it doesn't work. And,
3: and the fact I don't think the, it's going to work. I'm right. the, 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 the fact of the matter is you've got to play in either Iowa or New Hampshire. You don't necessarily need to win there, but you need to show that you're competitive there because if you, if you don't show you're competitive in one of those two states, by the time you get down south, a lot of the money and a lot of sports starts drying up because folks start going, well, we want to back a winner. And so you know, I think it's going to be incumbent of whoever uh is going to be the democratic nominee they got to they got to play first, second, or third in either the or Iowa or New Hampshire, and preferably both. And you've got Nevada, going to in 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 Nevada. Nevada in there. And Nevada, too. Thank you very much. Uh, and those in particular before they get south, or they're not going to be in the campaign. Yeah. Um, you know, Chuck,
2: we have not seen any polling recently in Georgia, although I am told by the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution we're going to see it fairly soon. Okay. So we're kind of looking at South Carolina. In, in terms of Democratic voters, is having a fairly similar composition of I think, voters. I think that's probably true for And what's been fascinating to watch there is that even as President Trump has been pounding away at the alleged corruption of Joe and Hunter Biden in Ukraine, uh, the polling in South Carolina, the national polls continue to show uh, Biden uh, riding high, and I would guess, given, again, the similarities in some of the voter composition, the same might be true here. And we'll find out soon well, enough. Well,
4: it's you I mean, Biden's both him and his wife have been here in the last couple of months. Uh, he clearly views George as quite important as his campaign. Uh, the query is whether whether Trump kind of got his powder wet a little too early against Biden uh, because it's not having an effect. And even though Elizabeth Warren's catching up a little bit. It's not because Biden's losing voters. He's just getting it from other places. Uh, so I think this, this could come down to a three-person, certainly a two-person race by the time it gets to Georgia.
2: Um, why don't we do this? Um, why don't we talk for a few minutes before we take a break about the latest news in impeachment without, I hope, going down the rabbit hole because I feel like every time we try to talk at all that's about impeachment, that's, <laughs> the of, that's the rest of the show. Um, but l- let's just talk about the developments of this morning. Um, Uh, Marie uh, Yovanovitch, who was the ambassador to Ukraine, who Trump summarily fired, testified this morning in a closed-door session, Patricia, with the three committees, right? Mm -hmm. Intelligence, foreign relations... And and, oversight. And oversight. And uh, she uh, basically said that... uh, She said, the State Department attacked her, that they came up with allegations that she was disloyal to Mr. Trump, circulated by allies of Rudolph Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer. The charges were totally fictitious, she said. And here's a quote. I do not know Mr. Giuliani's motives for attacking me. Uh, He may well have believed that their personal financial ambitions, meaning Giuliani and his friends, were stymied by our anti-corruption campaign in Ukraine. That's from her opening statement, which the uh, New York Times and Washington Post got a hold of.
0: Yeah, I will say what I've been surprised about so far in this Ukrainian piece of the impeachment story is how much there that continues to be there. Yeah. And you look at what also happened on Friday with two of Giuliani's uh, associates, his clients. Uh, in fact, his confidants from the Ukraine were arrested uh, by the U.S. attorney's office and. Um, moments after they had lunch at the Trump Hotel with Rudy Giuliani. Oh, it doesn't get much worse than <laughs> <when> one <doesn't>. had Galloway.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> except, yeah. then, except for the fact that they were at the airport <laughs> with one-way
3: one way tickets. tickets. Yeah. Go ahead, and Patricia. they run a
0: company that's literally called Fraud Guarantee. Yeah. And this is the man that Giuliani has been working with. Um, they also were a part of Yovanovich's dismissal as the ambassador there. And was that was also a portion of the scheme that they're under investigation for were campaign finance. Violations funneling foreign money to members of the House, Senate, and even state offices to advance uh, their own interests. And to
2: put pressure on the administration to get rid of Yovanovitch.
0: Which she was. Now, when you go back in time, uh, House Democrats knew that she had been sent back. This was of concern to members of House Foreign Relations for some time. So the fact that she is now coming in and testifying has been something they've been looking forward to for some time. It's also, to me, why Nancy Pelosi has wanted to focus on the Ukrainian piece of all of the things that they can investigate Trump for. The Ukrainian situation is a deep well of potential for Democrats and potential danger for the president. And so the Yovanovitch removal from the Ukraine, the Giuliani connection, not just to these two men who were arrested, but they were then the ones doing the information digging in Ukraine on Joe Biden. And that's what the impeachment is surrounding. And so, and she was also, by the way, mentioned specifically by name by the president mm-hmm. in his call with the Ukrainian yeah, president. So exactly. was that a perfect call? <laughs> that's what this is all about. And she was perfect one of the few people mentioned by name other than Joe Biden and Hunter Biden.
2: Ed, are we, are, are we gonna begin seeing any cracks in the, in the Republican uh, ranks up on the Hill? And, and let's talk yeah. specifically about Georgians.
3: At the present time, no. Uh, on the issue of impeachment, uh, you may very well have more people say that they, they're concerned about this policy action by the president, whether or not they thought the- Syria. The, the, yeah. Well, not just Syria, but also with the Ukraine, whether, oh, not, okay. whether or not they thought the call was appropriate, mm-hmm. whether or not they thought that perhaps the policy behind what was being advocated in Ukraine was the right policy uh... you may very well start seeing some discussions along those lines but that's a far cry from uh... from s- suddenly start discussing discussing whether or not uh... impeachment uh... is is proper or not uh... it's one thing to question policies of the president and georgia uh... senators and representatives are starting to show some concern over that when it comes to syria It's another thing to start saying well we disagree with we, you know, uh, you know, not only do we disagree with the president on policy, we also think he's he's vulnerable for impeachment. Uh, the Democrats ha- really need to be sort of shifting how they're going to go about it if they ever want to really start getting any kind of significant Republican support for either impeachment or conviction. And basically, it's along the lines of they got to start looking at the the Nixon model mm-hmm. that took place in '73 and '74, in which, which Republicans, means what? which means Republicans were brought in. Republicans, for instance, were allowed to, to issue subpoenas. They were allowed to bring in their own witnesses. They Lord were allowed.
1: Baker was a very important party. They, the they were
3: allowed to, to uh, ask questions. They, had, they brought Nixon's lawyers in uh, so that the American people uh, saw uh, both sides of the issue. Right now, the Democrats, for whatever reason, are holding a tight rein on on what kind of information is getting out and who's going to be listened to. And that gets back to your excellent article that you had earlier this week, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with uh, some of the cons- problems that some of the Democrats are having in terms of uh, being able to handle the, the, uh, the impeachment. Chuck, proceedings.
2: I, I'm sorry, Ed. Chuck, um, in the middle of all this, the president surprises everyone by announcing this policy of pulling US <laughs> troops out of northern Syria allowing the Turks to do exactly what they've now done, Mm -hmm. move in uh, and uh, presumably attack the uh, Kurdish forces that are there. And it it strikes a lot of people that, when Ed said, you know, maybe not impeachment in terms of some of the issues Democrats are bringing up. But th- uh, this is the sort of thing the Republicans have spoken out about very strongly. And it does seem to me it undermines him in some ways that could raise start Republicans thinking about whether they really don't need to move forward with this impeachment. You know,
4: it's interesting. If you think of the Senate as jurors, why would you anger jurors uh, when they're going to hear your case in a few months? I mean, I don't have any doubt the House will ultimately end up voting for impeachment. Uh, and you have people that have been staunch Trump allies or quasi-staunch Trump allies like Graham or Rubio coming out very aggressively uh, against the president. Now, Marco didn't put the president's Twitter handle in his tweet, but it was a very <laughs> aggressive tweet. Um, and it's interesting to see, is there a greater plan or is this simply I only have a few months left, so I'm going to do everything I possibly yeah. can before I go? It's, it, it's a strategy I can't quite figure out.
2: Jim, uh I think Chuck just said something important, and Patricia, you too should weigh in on this. Do we have any reason to believe at this point that we're not going to see articles of impeachment passed by the House?
1: Um, I, I, I would say we're—I would put it at probably 90 percent. I'm not going to say absolute, but I think it's it's a pretty sure bet. I, you've got enough information out there on the table to let people know that it's that there's something there. And what Jovanovic's what, what uh, uh, appearance today shows, that, you know, that, that the, the Trump administration doesn't have complete control over this, this, this situation, as it did with the Mueller report. Mm-hmm. There are—there 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 are—it's it, not controlling the bureaucracy in the way that it did the Justice Department.
0: Uh, Yeah, I agree. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has said that what President Trump has said in his own words, including from the South One of the White House, she considers to be impeachable offenses, reaching out to foreign governments, encouraging investigations into your own political rivals. Um, Even seeing the name of an American citizen in a transcript of a phone call like that is so unusual. There's no way to really describe how far afield from not just normal but potentially legal um, that kind of conduct is. Yeah. And so for people who've been in D.C. a long time, the president paints them as swamp creatures, but they also are people who are used to and knowledgeable of the laws that govern this kind of activity as well. And so I think is there on impeachment, for sure.
2: All right, we're gonna have to get to a break, but one last quick point before we do, um, and I'll throw this out. Well, Jim, you're the journalist at the mm-hmm. table, I'm not sure that that a great <laughs> man. Is well, my liver. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs>
2: I, I wish to defend. the I'll honor. tell my <laughs> <laughs> All right. What I meant by uh, well, I guess I didn't mean anything <laughs> except I still think of you as being kind of straddling both sides, but you don't anymore. I, I try apologize. I No worries. Uh, all right, you two journalists. Um, do you think the American people really understand the difference between impeachment in the House and what that really means? Do you? Th- I think, that in some ways, that Trump' uh, a strategy is to confuse that issue, uh, it, 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 that it impeachment is. is not the move that takes a
1: president out of office. Nor is it a coup d'etat. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the reasons that you saw uh, Nancy Pelosi here in Atlanta last week. Uh, she's got multiple stops across the country uh, as long as this recess uh, continues. And, and part of her job is to teach people impeachment.
2: Journalist Patricia Murphy, before we go, explain what, how this works.
0: Well, uh, the articles of impeachment would be drafted by the House Judiciary Committee. Those would come up for vote in the Judiciary Committee. Democrats have the majority, so they would most certainly have the votes to get that out of committee. It would go to the House floor um, for official impeachment. I think that uh, the public will understand the difference between that, because uh, the Clinton impeachment wasn't so very long ago. I think, you know, even in my conversations with people, they understand the difference. Uh, Then it goes over to the Senate, and it's a very high bar. It's a two-thirds vote in the Senate. Um, when Chuck was talking about the jurors over there, some senators have actually said, I don't want to comment on this. I may be a juror in the impeachment yeah, trial. Yeah, and that yeah. is a very, very big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the bar to get to two-thirds, including what would be essentially a majority of the Republican caucus to mm-hmm. me, is a very, very high bar. But it's intended to be by the framers.
2: impeachment is the indictment in the House.
1: The trial takes place in the Senate. The
0: oh, and trial man. takes and, and place and in, never the in the, the Senate. History
1: of the U.S. has one has a has a president been removed from office with in, in, conviction with by r- the Senate. Yeah.
2: All right, let's do this. Let's get a break in, and uh, while we're breaking, I am going to do everything I can to apologize to Patricia <laughs> Murphy for that terrible oversight. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> I don't-
0: isn't North Korea already posing an unacceptable threat?
3: As this regime continues to, to perfect its long-range nuclear capabilities, it's
2: just a risk that the world cannot tolerate. One out of every four times a fire truck
4: leaves the station, it's for an overdose case.
0: So this House bill is dead on arrival in the Senate. If that is the only bill in town, that means we will have a shutdown. A Seat at the Table is a weekly series hosted by Deneen Milner, Christine White, and Monica Pearson. The mission of A Seat at the Table is to let African-American women have a platform to educate communities about the black women's experience, life, and journey. Today, we're talking about using the N-word. Is a college education still necessary in today's world? Today, we're talking about what it means to be folk. From credit to entrepreneurship, black women are about our business. Join us for A Seat at the Table on GPD.
2: Uh, welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Patricia, um, let me go to this column and let me jump around a little bit in our in our format today. You wrote a really wonderful column syndicated, your syndicated column. I, I said earlier, I read you in roll call. You wrote it about the women who are in many ways driving impeachment. And of course, we know Nancy Pelosi is on top of all that. But you told us about another fascinating person to talk about what you did in that column.
0: Uh, So, well, I was looking at the really the specific pressure points of impeachment. How did we get here? What's different from now versus six months ago versus nine months ago? Mm -hmm. Obviously, Democratic voters have always been against this president, but what has changed to get us to where we are in this really unusual, unprecedented point? And if you look at those specific pressure points, I have just noticed that women have been at the center of most of those. And I'm not really talking about Pelosi, although she's been leading it for the Democrats in cases reluctantly, but one woman is named Lindsay Boylan, who most Georgians are not going to know who that is, but she is Congressman Jerry Nadler's primary opponent in Mm. New York City. And most members of Congress can deal with impeachment, go home, take a break, especially if you're in a really strongly Democratic district. The president has a 71% disapproval rating in New York City. So Jerry Nadler in the old days would go home and people would just high five him for being there and being a Democrat. Lindsey Boylan is really pushing Jerry Nadler and has been since last year on impeachment. Why aren't you doing more to impeach the president, Jerry Nadler? is the chairman of the House Judiciary Mm -hmm. Committee, which is responsible for impeaching the president. And so you started to see, as Lindsey Boylan's fundraising numbers and poll numbers have been going up, Jerry, Nadler starting to get a real squeeze on him. He's a close ally of Pelosi's and had not come out for for impeachment. And then as Boylan has been so aggressive, specifically on this issue and saying, what are you even doing there? You're in charge, you could do it. We wanna get rid of him. You're doing nothing for that. He's become much more aggressive, and I would say that is a byproduct, if not a direct Interesting.
3: Result. Ed? Well, a journalist, uh, Patricia, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, raises an, an interesting point. We always talk about cracks in the Republican uh, base and the Republican Party in terms of the president. But uh, your article also raises some cracks on the Democratic side in terms of their effectiveness. Uh, And the question is whether or not Democrats in this uh, impeachment uh, debate may very well win the battle. They have the votes in the House, but whether or not they lose the war, that would be the next election. And a lot will depend on how good and how fair the American people see as, as the process. And so far, neither Nadler or, quite frankly, Adam Schiff, uh, with his attempted parody, have really instilled any kind of real confidence, even among Democrats in, in Congress, that, that they are up to the task of, of, of putting forth a strong uh, argument. Uh, that they have uh, shown a fair, a certain fairness to the president. Do you want to respond to that real quickly? Uh,
0: well, I agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, in my column, I said the real duds so far to, for Democrats have been Nadler and yeah. Schiff, who, for reasons I will never understand, did go into this parody of what might have been the conversation yeah. between the president terrible, and terrible the president of Ukraine mistake. when we don't need a parody. Yeah. It is in black and white. Yeah. Um, and the Democrats only have, they only can possibly have um, the trust of the American public in order to go forward on this because it's unprecedented and so unusual to be going down this road at this point in a a president's um, tenure so close to an election they want to wrap it up quickly but you have to maintain your dignity and your trustworthiness and I think somebody like Nadler who's Mm -hmm. getting pushed and had a terrible hearing with Corey Lewandowski walking all over him and then um, with Schiff with his opening statement makes people say Who's in charge? What is this yeah. kangaroo court? And they've actually, yeah. Republicans have called it a kangaroo court as yeah. a result. Um, the women, I think, have been quite responsible in their uh, in their rhetoric and some of the men have been way out there.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, Chuck, we've talked about it on the show and a couple of us have, have, have said that although Schiff made that terrible gaffe in paradizing what the president <laughs> allegedly said on that phone call. Um, it was clear that Nadler was not going to be the guy to take the lead no, on impeachment, not. the way he handled the judiciary hearings. Not just Lewandowski, but in several cases, yeah. just not focused, not sharp, didn't have uh, discipline over his Democratic Which members. Which is why he drew a
4: primary opponent. And so yeah. it wasn't a
2: surprise that it went no. over to Adam Schiff, yeah. was it?
4: No, not a surprise at all. And yeah, I, I would have expected more from Adam Schiff uh, in this. I, you know, Ed brought up an important point earlier. You're not going to get American support behind an impeachment, really unless you have public hearings. Simply don't understand why we keep having these closed door hearings when the transcripts are released. They go out and talk to the press right away. You know, you need to really do learn that lesson from Watergate and let the yeah. public see what's going on.
1: Right. You need a you need a you need, yeah. a, you need a bipartisan yes. partisan hearing where the questioning. Is done by staff attorneys on yeah. both sides. Please, yeah. you, know Please. Inter- you know what's interesting, though, Jim,
2: about the uh, uh, investigation, about the impeachment investigation shifting over to uh, intelligence more than judiciary, is it's kind of taken Trump's strongest defender, most articulate, I think, defender among Republicans <laughs> on the Hill, Doug Collins,
1: <laughs> out of the picture because he's not. They're not in judiciary. At and this because point. it's because it's House Intelligence, it also puts it behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yeah. and and we're. we're where where the where the Corey Lewandowski's uh, performances uh, they, they have no no
3: no weight and feeds into uh, the president's uh, strongest argument. That a you're trying to overturn uh, my popular election, and number two, uh, we have an election next in 2020. Shouldn't we be focusing on on my job performance at that time? All
2: right, let me let me move on uh, uh, for a few minutes, Jim. Let let's talk a little bit about uh, you. All wrote uh, the other day a piece about David Perdue, and his effort now is bipartisan effort with his co-sponsor Doug Jones, the Democrat Mm -hmm. from Alabama, who's been on this show. there, at least from from Purdue's point of view, he's kind of sidestepping whether we need any gun regulations uh, to put right, in place, right. which is obviously a controversial issue, especially for him. And now he's saying, no, we need to come up with some uh, ways to help. Schools understand how to fortify themselves against
1: uh violent intruders right and and this this kind of gets into what 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 ed was saying uh, and and we don't know look we don't know what uh how strong the president is going to be in november 2020 right So you do have what I find interesting is you do have certain people, David Perdue among them, trying to build a a, a kind of a a persona of himself aside from Trump, uh, his identity as a Trump ally. He is I mean, he is he is picking some some pretty good issues to focus on. He's focusing on women. He's focusing on the, uh, the, the northern metro Atlanta suburbs. And at the heart of that is 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 school violence is the worry over gun violence uh in public schools that is a that is a top concern of women in 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 suburbia and he is trying to address that as best he can without crossing the NRA with that with this bill that would set up a clearinghouse if yeah. you will for be- best practices as far as school design or uh, uh, personnel uh, personnel hiring uh uh, uh metal detectors w- w- whatever uh, and but the interesting thing is, of course, it helps Doug Jones over in Alabama yeah, as good, well because yeah.
3: he's the co-sponsor of the bill. He's
1: yeah. a co-sponsor, and you know he's going to be attacked during his reelect as a as a socialist. He can point to David Perdue and say, "This is my fellow traveler." And yet, Patricia,
2: how much distance is David Perdue going to be able to put between himself and the president, given that he's been a- attached to the hip to him for the last three years?
0: I mean, it's going to be very tough. And when asked directly, he will support the president. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. certainly assume. Yeah. Um, and he he has legitimately been. Uh, one of the president's closest allies. I yeah. think it's too late to back the truck out of the delivery station. Yeah. I mean, he's already there. <laughs> um, yeah. But he has to do what he can. Uh, the only very limited polling that we've seen uh, of David Perdue, though, is that he um, is more popular than the president in the state, particularly among women. Um, he has a facade and a demeanor that is much less offensive to many women than the president does. He's, Perdue is just a very erudite, pleasant person to to see in action. He's and not. He wears
2: great in denim.
0: Yeah. He great in that. <laughs> that one jacket. He
4: wears that yeah, one, one jacket. He's got terrific. one.
0: So I think he can be successful in this effort, and it's the smart place to be. But in gun safety um, and school safety, women don't just want safe schools; they want safe communities. And yeah. so he can't cross the NRA, and that's why there's no mention of guns in that bill. Yeah. Um, and I think women are going to want more on that. Um, Is it a deal killer? No, but he can't. uh, He has to do something on school safety.
2: Uh, uh, Chuck, meanwhile, uh, Lucy McBath up there in the 6th District is being asked over and over again by many people whether she supports and would vote for the impeachment Mm -hmm. of President Trump, assuming the articles come together uh, properly. And. She sort of answered the question yes. in the sense that she says, well, remember, I did v- take this procedural vote, vote
4: for, for, moving,
1: forward for
2: moving forward. And yet uh, she had protesters uh, uh, show up at her uh, offices, uh, uh, pro-Trump mm-hmm. protesters who were uh, angry about the fact that she's uh, supporting impeachment of the president. She seems to be caught in the middle there just a little bit. To a
4: certain extent, keep in mind uh, that pro-Trump protesters are a minority in her district, at least according to the last election. Um, And uh, she feels like she's spoken on it. Uh, She doesn't, uh, over the years, has not dealt an entire political career with the press or with folks. I think she's kind of learning still a little bit. But at the end of the day, um, I don't think she just wants to dwell on the impeachment. I think she wants to move back to her issue, which is the issue of guns. And she's going to keep going back to that issue because that's what she felt she was elected on.
3: Well, you know, her her twisting in the wind reminds me of of a piece of advice I got right after I first got into the House, which State House, which was, look, if if you got a tough vote coming up as quickly as possible, come out and tell people exactly where you are, because at least that puts an end uh, to your twisting in the wind. And who's ever giving her the advice of trying to maintain neutrality, I don't think is doing her any good. I don't believe there's anyone here that seriously thinks she's not going to vote for impeachment in the long run, she's probably better off going ahead and laying out her position, whatever it may be, and then moving on because if you stand on the fence it's a cold place to be. Well, in, in light of that,
4: I mean, it's a really good point because if, if you know, the nice Fox News poll that came out said 51% of people support impeachment. Now, we don't have any polling it's here. Support
1: an impeachment inquiry. 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 Uh,
4: and so we don't have, you know, a local polling here, but you have to, re- you know, think about it. Oh, that's, that's probably reflective of that particular district. As Well, uh, I would suspect in the next week or two, you probably hear from her. Yeah. Talk
3: about so I mean, she's uh, going to have to cast a vote. And, so and uh, as soon as she can defend it, the better. Jim, let me reframe
2: that. But ask you to comment on the same uh, uh, question. So th- these last couple of days, we've seen some interesting video uh, from Jody Ernst in Iowa and from Cory Gardner in Colorado to Republican uh, members who who uh, were being peppered with questions by reporters as to whether or not they believed it was appropriate for the president to look for help uh, in getting dirt from a foreign government in getting uh, uh, help on, a, on an opponent, getting dirt on an opponent, and they wouldn't really answer the question. Submission. On the other side of the aisle, is Lucy McBath in a similar position or
1: no? You know, I, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so, and and simply because the polls aren't moving that way, the 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 the, the, the support support for an impeachment inquiry and impeachment and, and removal itself is is growing. It's if if it we're on the decline, I think I think uh, I, I think you might have an argument there that 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 she's she's going to be damaged. It, it, what you have to remember is the sixth district is is a wealthy district, but it's also the most educated mm. district, mm. Pro- maybe the second in the highest country. Right. As the second highest, in, at least in the south, uh, uh, behind, uh, behind uh, a district in Virginia. So these are people who read, they understand the news, and they're watching. Patricia, I want you to weigh in before we get to another break.
0: Well, the biggest movement that we've seen in that uh, growing approval of the concept of removing this president through impeachment is among college-educated white women. Those are Lucy McBath voters in the 6th District. So I think she will, you know, you could see envision how she would eventually end up there and she'd probably be electorally safe. In the meantime, I do think there's actually a third way that she could say, I need more information. I'm concerned. I need more information. I think at least that shows some transparency that we're not getting from McBath right now, who is mostly just not wanting to answer any questions at all about it. Um, I think more transparency in her thinking would be very helpful to her just to weather the storm. It might be very unpleasant right now. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, All right, let's do this. Let's get another break uh, out of the way. And when we come back, uh, let's turn uh, to Chuck Cook, our immigration expert on the panel, and talk about the latest in terms of the administration's approach uh, to immigration. Uh, We'll be back after these messages. The only thing that is predictable is the unpredictability
3: of Washington, D.C. Is the Sunni-Shia divide about to explode wide open? Neither side seems to appreciate that they're destroying the region.
0: What are you seeing as the most important thing that has to get done right now? Developments in the Harvey Weinstein scandal women who say the Hollywood mogul sexually... Luckily, there are a lot of women coming forward. If we don't take this moment in history, then we're letting a moment pass.
4: Don't miss it on GPB.
2: Well, we're glad to have you all back with us on Political Rewind. Uh, Chuck Cook, there have been some interesting developments uh, in your, your world on the you immigration that. front. Yeah. noticed uh, that. Let me just re- reel off several of them and then you uh, pick up on what you want. Number one, we have a, a presidential proclamation that was issued on October 4th. Fourth I believe my birthday suspend Oh, good suspends entry for immigrants who cannot demonstrate they um, have health insurance or will have health insurance within thirty mm-hmm. days of entering. Uh, the country. That obviously applies to immigrants who are looking to come in on visas. Those are
4: immigrants coming in on actual immigrant visas, Visas. not not visitor visas, but immigrant visas. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 70,000, 80,000 a year come in that way from abroad. Most of them are family type immigration as opposed to business immigration.
2: And and what are the chances that those are people who will, where do they get their health insurance?
4: Well, actually, you go on Google uh, and uh, you can buy health insurance. as a newly arrived immigrant. The insurance is good for 364 days. Uh, To keep in mind, uh, you can't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid or any public benefits until you've been a permanent resident for five years. Uh, This only talks about having insurance at the moment you're appearing at the US. So then what's
2: the impact of this?
4: I don't, I mean, people have talked about this horrible impact. I don't think it's that big an impact because you can get the insurance Uh, and you can also cancel it the week you get here. I mean, no, they're not going to be any follow up about that. Uh, So I I don't think it has an immediate real impact other than scaring people. But at the same time, the irony, of course, is presidents mandating health insurance for people uh, when you know, we have this whole fight over the whole ACA thing. Um, but the other thing is there is litigation pending on that. There's already been a lawsuit that's getting filed. Uh, I don't expect that that will go into, uh, into effect. Uh, the reason is the president is relying on a particular provision in immigration law that the Supreme Court ultimately held was sufficient to sustain the, what we call the Muslim ban, the, the, the travel ban mostly from Iran. But the Supreme Court has v- read that very narrowly uh, and required a great deal of justification. This uh, proclamation simply doesn't have it. Uh, so I think there's a really strong likelihood uh, that this actually provision will actually be struck down uh, and stayed by a district court. And we'll go through the whole thing again, back up to the Supreme Court in a couple of years.
2: Um- the Justice Department has promulgated a rule, I, I don't know that it's actually gone into effect or not, DNA collection of, of immigrants who are, are detained at the border.
4: Yeah, that, that's actually not a surprise. It's from DHS. Um, and uh, so anybody who applies for asylum or is detained at the border, they'll take a mouth swab and put it into the federal DNA database. Uh, the federal government's been doing this for years for prisoners in, federal, in the federal prison system. So this is not, this is not something new. Uh, again, it's meant to send a signal. It, 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 it's not necessarily the, the use you get out of it, but it's the message you get from it. Uh, and when you're going to take my DNA, the idea that, oh, I'm not going to come to America, or, you're going to take my DNA. That's not stopping anybody from coming to the border who's fleeing for their life from El Salvador. Is, um, this,
1: is this being used to, 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 to ascertain whether uh, family members are truly family members? Well,
4: no, no, actually, that's not being used for that. Um, they, they're actually using crazier tests than DNA for that, that I'll talk about in a second. No, this is actually meant to send the message, well, these are potential criminals, and we may need their DNA in the future in case they rape or murder somebody. That's, that's the message this is. It has no other u- utility within the immigration system at all. Uh, now, as far as you know, testing, is this really my child at the border? Uh, they're using all kinds of interesting tests other than DNA, um, and including whether they look like each other uh, for determining ages of children. They're looking at the size of their teeth uh, or their length of their forearm, wildly discredited science. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going down at the border right now. On that, yes, I know it's absolutely crazy.
2: Um, Ed, all of this is are these kind of scattershot efforts that smack of Stephen Miller's influence on the West Wing, on the on the Oval Office.
3: Well, I, I don't think there's any doubt that, that Stephen Miller' uh, footprint or or um, shadow has a has has a big impact on immigration, uh, both within the White House and uh, with the Department of Homeland Security.
2: Patricia, when you hear about these, and there are, there are others, I know you want to get to one that you think is more important, but but this ongoing war is certainly going to be something the president will showcase in the 2020 campaign in a big way.
0: It was a big part of why he got elected yeah. in 2016. Yep. It was a central focus of every rally that he held. It yep. was not the focus of his very first rally, but after he heard the applause that he got from the crowd when he started talking about Illegal immigration, immigrants are thieves, immigrants are murderers, rapists, and I'm sure some are nice people. The kind of response that he got fed back to him by his core base supporters has fed the oxygen of his thinking on this. And then somebody like Stephen Miller comes in and says, well, here are all the things you can do to hit the gas on this. And so immigration um, and uh, attacking immigrants, demeaning immigrants, it is, I think, just a core piece of what he's always done in campaigns, what I find fascinating about these some of these new pieces of policy, Republicans typically will say we need to reduce illegal immigration and increase legal immigration. Yeah. The president is now demonizing mm-hmm. both legal and illegal yeah. immigrants. Yeah. And so that is a major change for the Republican Party. But it's something that some members of his base have felt lo- for many years. You know, and, we, we hear all the, yeah,
4: the yeah, times so. that, oh, I'm, I'm in favor of legal immigration that's that's exactly who this is against. The the DNA is from legal immigrants legally seeking asylum. The DNA, the the public health insurance is from legal immigrants been waiting in line. So it's a it's an interesting twist on what's been going on. But but then
3: you have Democrats uh choosing to veer hard to the left on the on the Well the the Democratic debates the question uh, is would you you give
0: health care to illegal immigrants? Will you uh
3: decriminalize crossing the border illegally uh, along those lines that have, for, for whatever reason, lurched the Democratic Party hard to the left. Yeah, I, and, and so as a result, you've got the middle ground uh, almost a no-man's land. You
2: know, Jim, I noted what Ed's saying is so correct. I mean, if you watched uh, the first Democratic debate when some of these things really came out, it seemed to me like an exercise, a perfect example of groupthink. I'm not sure that any one of those people might have necessarily immediately embraced the notion of, you know, decriminalizing border
1: crossings. And and there have been some some backpedaling on on, on that. Yeah, yeah. but it's out there. I will will tell you what I was. uh, I mean, I I I watched uh, Donald Trump's uh, rally in in Minneapolis yesterday. Yeah. And when when he is when he is uh, speaking to a virtually all white crowd and talking about legitimate Somali refugees and is 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 getting the response he's getting that is that's that that begins to get the the rhetoric the rhetoric that we're we're hearing and the 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 actions that we're seeing uh, on on this kind of have a different flavor to them
2: and we haven't even mentioned that he just announced that they're cutting in half the number of refugees who are going to be allowed well, in the United States. cutting in half States, from the already from cut nothing, in half. From i say, 18,000? So, we had 75
4: the last year under President Obama. Mm. This year went down to 50. Next year, 30 this year. 50, 30, now 18,000. Yeah, yeah, That's essentially nothing.
2: What's the worst thing that you see, you've you seen? You say, you walked in here and said you didn't even talk about the thing that well, I'm most well, concerned you know, about. You first, you we didn't
4: talk about public charge. This is the new rule. Uh, in our immigration laws since 1882, there's been a rule that says if you're if you're going to become a public, charge in the old words, uh, you can't come in, America. And it's always been interpreted very, very loosely, but it's, it's a very powerful phrase. Uh, now they've actually uh, put into regulation very specific guidance on, on this, including yesterday the Department of State and their new rules said, if the consular officer interviewing you for a green card believes that you will ever become a public charge, he will deny you. Think about this, everybody will ultimately become a public charge. Hmm. We're all going to be on social security. We're all, I mean, we're all going to be it, right? So therefore, you could literally deny everybody. Uh, but there's another piece of legislation that's actually not from the president. It's actually coming out of the House. Actually, there is immigration legislation on the floor of the Senate right now. Uh, about four months ago, the House passed a bill called House, House Bill 1044, which removes something called the per-country limit. Now, this is really weedy, but it's really important. In our legal immigration system, which was really established in 1965, they said something really simple. Everybody's going to get an equal chance to come, and they did that because we had been had a very race-based immigration process for like 47 years. Mm-hmm. So that every country has a chance to come, and no country can have more than 7 percent of the numbers for green cards, whether it be family or business. And it's been that way for the last 50 years. One country got really out of whack in in the last 15 years uh, on the employment side. Uh, and This is a result of H-1B visas and H-1B visa abuse. So a lot of Indian nationals began to apply for green cards. And today, there's a 30 to 40 year wait for green cards for Indian nationals working in the United States. And they have managed to convince, they've managed to convince Zoloftgren in the house and it passed the House on a voice vote uh, to eliminate the per country limit. So we all thought, well, this is going to die in the Senate. Nothing. Everything dies in the Senate and the House. And in fact, uh, Senator Lee from Utah, apparently because of the silicon slopes that have developed out in the state of Utah, yeah. uh, has pushed the bill, House, what's called Senate Bill 386. Uh, and it came up for unanimous consent motion two weeks ago. And interestingly enough, it didn't pass because our Senator Perdue stopped it. Now, when I heard the Senator Perdue stopped it, I thought, well, well, he's very anti-immigrant, he's carried the president's water, he's, that's not why he stopped the bill. He stopped the bill because the, the hospital association called him and said, hey, what about all the nurses we need? And so he worked out a deal with Senator Lee and they amended the bill and said there's a set aside for nurses going forward.
2: We're running close so, to out of time. So How true. do you know that this is what re- his, his motive was for I passing? I talked to his chief of staff. All right, so you've got that <laughs> yes, directly I from chief of staff. What, what's the bottom line implication? The bottom
4: line this? is uh, the House will come back and vote. Uh, yeah, the Senate will come back and vote. with all this? Well, basically, we will only have Indian immigrants in employment-based jobs for the next decade. But
0: businesses that push for that, haven't
4: they? This is a push for yeah. that. So yeah. basically, there no, nobody from any other country in the world will be able to immigrate through employment for the next decade. That's what this bill
1: does. And, and uh, this is reflected. You, you, you do see a big, uh, a very tight relationship developing between the Republican Party and uh, Indian immigrants. That's yep. right. That's it. Yep, it's, yeah. it's very interesting to watch.
2: We're out of time for uh, uh, today's show. Uh, Chuck Cook, thank you for being here. Ed Lindsay, a pleasure to have you. Yeah. Uh, Jim Galloway, thank you. I'll see you again for the Monday Political Rewind. And Patricia Murphy, um, thank you for being here. And again, my apologies. <laughs>
0: well, you have been my, my favorite colleague over the last five Until years. today.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: uh, that's it for us. We are completely out of time uh, for today's show, but we really appreciate your being with us. One last note. I said this a week ago, and I want to say it again today. We are still tinkering with how much to talk about impeachment, which, of course, is the biggest issue on the national political stage today. But we also want to continue to talk to you about what's happening in our state, Georgia. Give us your thoughts. We're trying to mix them up as well as we can. But why don't you let us know on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email how would you like us uh, to talk about impeachment? Um, how would you like us to talk about state issues? We'd love your thoughts on that. I'm Bill Niggett. See you again for Political Rewind Monday at 2.
1: I need to call you uh, next